0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Lily Kate Show. Today, we have a very special guest, someone who I have always looked up to, who is almost like a little bit of a big sister to me. How are you, Emma Jacks, today?
1: I'm doing fantastic, Lily. I'm so excited to be here and speaking with you today. So
0: excited to have you on. And as you guys know, The Lily Kate Show has been going through a few different changes. And one of the changes is Well, we've moved into a new studio, so we have wonderful mic quality. Couldn't be happier about that. But the other change is we've been starting to split my podcast up into segments. And these segments consist of specific topics that I want to address with specific people. One of these segments is a breaking news segment. And there's one story that I want to talk about today that just proves the existence of a jealous God. (laughs) Recently, in Toledo, Ohio, a mural that was dedicated to George Floyd collapsed after it was reportedly struck by lightning on Tuesday. So we know that Nancy Pelosi has thanked George Floyd as a savior for his sacrifice for our country. Now, we're not going to get into the whole George Floyd situation because it's older, but the fact that this mural, with when you're looking at it, it's just his face. So the mural is very, very long. There's Half of it has flowers on it. The other half has another face on it. The right in the center has George Floyd's face on it, and that is the only part of it that has been destroyed. Emma, I think this is personally crazy and I wouldn't put it past God to do something like this because he's a jealous God. He doesn't want people referring to anyone else as a savior or glorifying anyone else past the sacrifice that his son made. What do Christians make of this specific thing that has happened i mean it's it's mind-boggling honestly and I think what's so powerful about it is that it's
1: it's a it's a powerful image it speaks volumes when you see this scarred side of a building which was a tribute to George floyd and now it's vacant it's empty it's been removed and that image no longer has the power they intended but rather it sends a different message of what happens when you cross a line when you give someone else authority or recognition that in many ways
0: wasn't deserved mm, that's so good and God really is a real and jealous God and he's not afraid to strike down anyone or anything that he disagrees with because in the end he gets all the glory regardless of that. So just wanted to let you guys know that this is not just a coincidence. I personally don't think coincidence really exists. I think coincidence can always and should be interpreted by Christians as the providence and hand of God, whether that's a wrathful thing, whether that's a graceful and merciful thing. I think this is a really interesting story that speaks to the proof of God is not silent. One other section we have in the Lily Kate show is a section called Biden Watch. And since Biden is destroying the country and having lots of radical policies that he promised he wouldn't have, even in his, in his inaugural address, he said he's going to unite the country. And now all of a sudden, he delivers a speech this past week about voting, um, protecting voting rights for specifically minority citizens. And as we know, the Democrats have been peddling this false narrative that all the voting laws that we're passing to ensure election integrity that talk about a voter ID that talk about no mail in ballots talk about not going against the state constitutions. They've been saying that this is the modern day Jim Crow. And we know that to not be true whatsoever, because in many cases specifically like the Texas voting law that Greg Abbott has called a special session to pass has actually expanded the number of days that people are allowed to vote. So listening to his Address. There's one specific phrase that really just bothers me. Now, this goes for right side and left side, center, libertarian, I don't care.
1: More than 150 Americans of every age, of every race, of every background exercise their right to vote.
0: There's one specific phrase that he says, and that is the right to vote. And there's a fundamentally wrong thing about anyone who uses this statement. Because there is no such thing as the right to vote. Voting is a privilege that comes with citizenship of the United States.
1: Yeah, and what's interesting is that when you look at the Constitution, it never granted specifically the right to vote. We have very specific rights laid out in the Bill of Rights. We have the right to bear arms, you have the freedom of speech, you have the right to personal property and privacy. Um, In fact, I think the first time we started to grant the notion of a right to vote was by the Supreme Court. We have the Supreme Court kind of writing their own Constitution and saying, "No, this is a distinct, inherent right that you have as an American citizen. And it's not, it's a privilege that our founding fathers gave us so that we could have a voice in our government because I think another flaw with the way that the Democrats are, are speaking about voting right now in the country is that they're approaching it as we are a democratic nation. But again, we're not. This is another misconception and a lie is actually being told by the left is that we're a democracy. when we're a constitutional representative republic, and we have we <laughs> right, have exactly levels right. and tiers of government so that our singular voice is not the only thing dictating the government. We need to have these separations of powers, these spaces. And again, our voice in government is important. And I will fight to the end of my days to protect our right to freedom of speech, to be able to have that chance, to be able to hold our elected officials accountable But our right to vote is not inherent, it is not absolute, and it is a privilege that we need to protect and to nurture and to safeguard through accountability measures that make sure our elections are free and are fair.
0: So true. I could not agree with you more there. Because think about it. If every person in the whole entire world, doesn't matter where you're from, if you're an illegal immigrant, if you're an American citizen, if you're from friggin' Europe or India or China, and you believe that you have the inherent and alienable right to cast your vote, make your voice heard, well then of course we're going to grant that right to every single person who comes across our border. This is the premise that they're dealing with, and Michael Knowles talks about this All the time. One of my favorite podcasters to listen to on the daily. And he says, we need to stop seceding ground in the premises and quote the right to vote. It's just another one of those premises that we have conceded. It's not a right. It is a privilege to be able to vote. Because think about it. In ancient Rome, you had to serve in the military to become a citizen of the Roman Empire. Now, you could live there if you weren't a citizen, but you had special rights and special privileges granted to you when you served your time to become a citizen. There's something special about being a citizen. There's something unique. There's something exclusive about being a citizen of the country that you're a member of. If you didn't have that exclusivity, if you didn't have the closed borders, if you didn't have special privileges granted to you, then what's the point of having a nation? What's the point of having a government? Why aren't, why aren't we a bunch of tribes just living out in the middle of nowhere? No, we want a civilization and we want there to be some kind of differentiation between a person who's inside the nation and outside the nation. And the Democrats don't want this, one, because they really do believe that health care is a right. Therefore, they're going to also believe that the right to vote is a right, which both premises are completely untrue and unconstitutionally founded and just a progressive idea that is poisoning youth today. And they want a bigger voting base. 2022 elections are coming up, and if there is not the most massive red wave you have ever seen Then we really have to question the election integrity because the energy is just going right and farther and farther and farther right as we go along. And so if you know that you're losing this badly and the Democrats and everyone are so angry at them and everybody's so done with the vocabulary that we are forced to use and the names and uh, and the pronouns that we have to use, all that ridiculous stuff that we're getting pushed down our throats, there's going to be a red wave in 2022, mark my words. And the Democrats are looking for a voter base that they can always rely on. 100
1: percent. And I'm I'm excited to see what this pendulum back is going to look like, because every time Biden does a speech like this, every time he does something that's as radical as the left wants him to be, it's another motivator for us to remember what we're fighting for and why we need to come back stronger than ever this next election.
0: Oh, that's so good. And so true. Another um, interesting comparison that Joe Biden made in his speech is that any laws to do with ensuring election integrity and signature verification or anything to do with the process of elections, they're saying that that is a worse threat to our democracy than anything going back to the Civil War. They're saying the Civil War almost pales in comparison to the voter laws that are happening right now. And that is the classic definition of gaslighting. So, I mean, Emma, what do you have to say about that ridiculous comparison?
1: I mean, I think it's it's laughable that the Democrats want to confuse accountability with Intimidation or suppression. Like in in, in any other industry, whether it's in the business world, whether it's in any other scenario, you want to have accountability. You want to have standards. And to simply ask someone to be held to a standard doesn't mean you're intimidating them, doesn't mean you're suppressing them. It means you have to meet a certain standard. It goes back to the idea of whether it's a right or a privilege. To earn that privilege, you have to meet certain standards. You have to prove that you're a citizen. You have to prove you haven't committed violent felonies that make you unworthy of having a voice and who's going to be your elected official yeah and so i think it's just sad um, that we're doing that comparison and i mean even when he wants to draw it to comparing it to 21st century jim crow assaults i mean that's just that's a low blow that's a reach w- reaching for a soundbite that resonates with a particular voter base um, and, and in many ways and i know people have talked about this in other situations but it's inherently racist to say that because you're saying that the people who are most affected by the laws are all black That's what that phrase means, and that's meaning you're assuming that every single Black person can't get an ID, can't prove who they are, can't do basic, first-world things you do on a regular basis when you prove who you are when you buy alcohol, when you go get your driver's license,
0: when you go to work for someone. Yeah, and not to mention that Kamala Harris now thinks that people in rural communities are not able (laughs) to get a photocopy of their ID. How demeaning is that? How stupid do they think we
1: are? I mean, we're just out here still doing charcoal sketches, you know, for our blueprints and for our
0: to-do We don't even have fire. (laughs) 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 But, I mean, it is true that there is an elite status of being a Democrat and we need to fight against that, whether that's allowing us to keep the privilege and assuring the privilege to vote for being a citizen. But again, we need to rephrase the argument. We can't say the right to vote anymore. It has to be the privilege or the ability to vote. If you're a felon, you lose the ability to vote. You don't lose the right to vote because it's not a right in the first place. The Democrats
1: routinely want to confuse what they want with what they're entitled to. They want free health care. It doesn't mean they're entitled to free health care. They want the right to vote. It doesn't mean they're entitled to the right to vote. And we need to keep drawing that line and securing and safeguarding our inherent inalienable rights given to us by God.
0: So true. And one of those inalienable rights is that there is an equal opportunity for everyone, specifically mm-hmm. meaning in the race category and we've been dealing a lot with this race category with the virus of critical race theory that's infecting our schools and the role that the Department of Education has had in, in just pushing out this horrendous and poisonous ideology onto our students and so Emma you have some really cool stories about critical race theory specifically in Texas um, about how they were debating over it in the house floor what's the progress of the critical race theory bills here over in Texas and you know let's just talk about that for a second because besides the fact that liberal elites don't even think that Black people can actually vote They do always want to paint Black people As the victims, as the oppressed And for no good reason, because all They're trying to do is the end goal of Controlling us and controlling our minds Yeah, so to give some background um, I got to work this past
1: Texas session um, With State Representative Kyle Biederman And so it was really cool getting to see firsthand The battle being waged for Texas and for Multiple different fronts, whether it was Constitutional carry or the abortion um, Pro-life issue or with this in particular Instance of critical race theory, um, so One of the key battlegrounds was a bill HB 3979 by Representative Stephen Toth, which sought to address not just the CRT and the uh, the 1619 project, but also how teachers are being compelled to talk about these current day issues in the classroom when we were having the BLM riots, we were having the George Floyd issue. And so it was really it was really eye opening watching the reaction on the House floor when he presented his bill, because unfortunately he was kind of a lone voice in many ways. Uh, it was very it was very much disheartening to see him up on the front mic many times by himself trying to answer this onslaught of Democratic attacks. Um, and I thought it was interesting is there's a specific um, state rep her name is Representative Mary Gonzalez and she has a PhD I think in cultural studies, uh, and she got to the back oh, night. I didn't know you could get a PhD in that. Yeah, <laughs> literally. So she got to the back mic and she started asking and debating representative Toth and uh, she kept asking him like how many books have you read about critical race theory or do you know I've studied this long when it comes to critical race theory and I think that underlines a main Argument and tenet of the Democrats side when it comes to why they should push critical race theory is this kind of intellectual superiority that we know better than you. We've been studying this longer. We understand the nuances. We understand all of this historical background, and they want to weigh this on you as a reason to just give in and accept it. And uh, shout out to Representative Toth for holding his own and for taking a lot of heat and pressure. The bill actually got passed the session, and while it doesn't outright explicitly ban CRT, it does out uh, it does outlaw um, the 1619 project being taught in the classroom. It requires. Um, students to review other important documents in the classroom, like our founding documents, Declaration of Independence, Bill of Rights, um, Geisberg address, things like that. And so it was just, it was really enlightening seeing who pulled through, who stood firm in the battle on the floor, and those who were on the other side who were willing to attack us because we wanted to protect the minds of our children in our schools. I mean, you, right. who was it that said uh, if you educate, if you can educate the youngest generation, you can control the future essentially? Oh, Hitler. That's who it was. Yeah, I think it was Hitler, maybe even Stalin that said that. We know it's two of the worst people to ever live. And it's so true, and the Democrats know that, and they want a foothold in the classroom, they want a foothold in education, because they know when you control the information source, when you control uh, the beginnings of thoughts and ideas and critical thinking, and you can insert that with this, like you said, poison of systemic racism, and just to to turn children against themselves and against their peers because of race, that's the exact opposite of what MLK was wanting. And um, I'm proud of Texas for passing legislation that does take a step in the right direction, but we know but this is this is not far from being over. And uh, I remember when we were listening to the four debate, um, Representative Gonzalez, she mentioned she's been saying this for 10 years. So this is this is nothing new. Like, they have been talking about this and planning this. Critical race theory is not something that's been created in the last few years. It is a deep rooted theology and
0: radical, radical thoughts and ideas. The first thing I want to just do a little shout-out to is actually Steve Toth is my representative in my area. He's awesome. I've spoken on behalf of him for multiple of his bills, and I'm very pleased to hear that his at least one of his efforts got passed because he is a warrior, man. He is just going every day and telling the Dems exactly what they don't want to hear. The other thing is I love that you pointed out the fallacy that Representative Gonzalez was actually arguing from. If you take literally one week of a logic class, one of the first fallacies you'll learn is name calling. Probably the next fallacy you'll learn is an argument from authority is never going to win because you can't argue and say, I have all these degrees, therefore I am right. So it's very important in the culture, whether it be dealing with the CDC, whether it be dealing with Dr. Fauci, whether it be dealing with some corrupt lawyer, it doesn't matter what kind of degrees you have if common sense is the thing that's going to win out in the end. And as you've said at the end there, Emma, this legislation, this idea of critical race theory is meant to put children at each other's throats. And that's exactly what we don't want. It literally is a divisive tool to divide and conquer. And we need to understand that we are stronger together because the beautiful thing about America is that it is not class-based. It's not race-based. It's an ideology that anyone can have. Anyone can assimilate to. Anyone can be part of the American dream, American spirit. You can live in France and you will not be a French person. You can live in Germany and you will never be a German person. You can live in America and you instantly become an American as soon as you become a citizen to our amazing and fantastic country. And that is exactly what they don't want. They don't want everybody to be in American. Because as we said, there's something that has to be exclusive about being a citizen and critical race theory is just one thing trying to undermine that. It's trying to make America divided in a way of race, in a way of class and in a way of who's an authoritative figure on this random lesbian dance theory study. Oh, I'm an authority on that. And you should listen to me because I have this stupid piece of paper. Yes, and I, I think you put it so
1: plainly when it's a divisive tool. That CRT is designed to be a wedge to drive between people of different color. Uh, there's a, I think she's actually a prominent leftist um, person, but her, she had a quote, Jane Elliott. She mentioned that racism is a learned affliction. Well, in my opinion, I think CRT is teaching children about racism. When you talk to a child who has never heard about racism or color or differences, they don't inherently know it, which just shows that we don't have systemic racism on the widespread scale that the last one to think. And so when they want to take CRT and put it in the forefront, now, of course, kids are going to learn about racism. Of course, they're going to think about color first, They that they're black friends or their white friends. And that is retroactively worse than if we didn't have CRT in our education, in our K through 12 think about kindergartners learning about critical race theory and that just absolutely breaks my heart and makes me want to go screaming to the state board of education and get them to stop because it's just uh, it's it uncool. makes me want to
0: homeschool my children i was that's for sure. i was
1: homeschooled my entire life and i intend to keep my kids out of public school for as long as possible as long as the government allows me to or until
0: they tell me to you know move out of the united states <laughs> <laughs> i'm with you there homeschooling my kids the whole way so that they can learn the proper history from a christian worldview and not from a worldview that is destructive and and evil and Marxist, and when the leaders of BLM say that they are trained Marxists, well, you need to take something from that and think, hmm, yeah. <laughs> do I have a comprehensive list of all the places that Marx's ideology actually worked in the world? And then you'll look at your list and you'll see that it's completely blank, especially with all this new unrest that's happening in Cuba. Communism is a very Marxist. It's a godless. It's a destructive idea that literally creates a hierarchy and says, no, everybody's going to be stifled based on immutable factors. And then nobody's going to have to work hard because government is daddy. Government is the mom. We're not going to allow you to do anything to advance your life and be on an individual level. The people in Cuba are rioting and Going against the government and they Are flying American flags Because the American flag is the symbol Of freedom it's the symbol of liberty It's the symbol of Rebellion against tyranny that's How our country was founded and Now I'm afraid that they're going to have to You know start outlawing the American Flag in Cuba because all of a sudden That's going to be seen as a threat to The establishment there and we Have to prevent that from coming straight to America
1: yes and I mean Cuba's not the first country to use the United a bastion of liberty that they want to use in their protests. I mean, in the Hong Kong protests, we saw waves of pro-american people protesting because they are yearning for the freedom and the opportunity that we have in Mm -hmm. this country and it makes me so unbelievably proud and humbled that people in countries that are miles away thousands of miles away from us still believe in the american dream and the american principles that changed the way the world thought about freedom and thought about rights when we became a nation and i mean i can't there's no there's there's no other country on earth that I would want to fly a flag for. And they wanna take up our flag and join our fight for freedom. And I mean, I think that's such an important thing to realize that we need to be supporting them both, you know, emotionally and and verbally with um, being able to encourage people to talk about the tyranny happening in those countries. I mean, the issue is that when you look at countries like Cuba, the tyranny is already so widespread with the communist policies that it's so hard to fight back now. I mean, I think I just saw an article that they've shut off the internet in Cuba they because have. they don't want the message getting out. Yeah, And that already shows not only how powerful the message is and how much further it needs to go, but also just how dangerous it is when you allow government to creep in, to give you security and to take away your freedom.
0: Yeah. And when you allow the fallacy of arguing from authority to really manifest in your culture, not just in a, in a in a way Where it prohibits free speech And you have to listen to me It's no, we're going to exercise this so much That we're going to run your life for you And again, that is the antithesis of liberty and freedom There is also one lady who I do want to talk about, Emma Because you've been in politics for a long time I've been in the culture wars for quite a while You and I met, actually, at Speech and Debate Where you were debating policy I was doing speeches Went to Patriot Academy together And did lots of fun stuff there Passing legislation and whipping votes up and all that And as a speech debater, and you yourself are a fantastic debater, you always have the preparation ready, you always have the right questions to ask, and you know the answer to the difficult question. And there's this lady, Jen Psaki, is the White House press secretary currently, she's the girl with the very bright red hair as President Trump um, described her. Something that really just bothers me about her, and this is a total What's the Tea section in a new segment for the Lily Kate Show, is that she is almost, I think, incapable of answering any sort of legitimate question from the press.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think Jinsaki is an interesting case study and when you have to defend a very benign and questionable administration. And I think that's one of the sources of one of the reasons why she gets a lot of heat and she deserves it in many ways is because Jensaki has to be the best lawyer possible for Joe Biden, where she has to deflect these sometimes insane tweets or statements or policies. And that means she can't tell you the truth. She can't, she can't admit what we actually want to hear because if she did, it'd be a confession of fault, it'd be a confession of wrong. And I just get absolutely frustrated watching her. There is a reason her mantra now is circle back because she deflects better than an MMA fighter oh, when it comes kid. to avoiding questions and, and, and hot takes and very direct attacks on their policies and on their statements. Uh, and I think uh, it's so interesting when you watch a new administration come into power, you get an instant contrast. Right there, when you have a new takeover, when you have a new president, a new uh, press secretary staff, and to watch the contrast between her and my absolute fan favorite, I'm a fan of Kaylee McEnany, oh, Wow, yes. watching their styles and how they answered questions, their preparation, and how Kaylee was willing to answer questions head-on. If it was something she needed to address, she had backup. She had answers for it. She would not take any any sort of um, just immaturity from the reporters shortcuts and shortcuts yeah she would not shortcut and Zaki is consistently looking for a shortcut a sidestep or a deflection which means that we as voters we as americans are less informed
0: and still in the dark about what our president is actually doing and what the administration yeah, is trying I to i have achieve. this one little clip that i definitely want to play for you guys it's about jen saki completely unable to answer a question about biden's green jobs uh, there are people living paycheck to paycheck. There are now people out of jobs once the Keystone pi- out of jobs once the Keystone
1: pipeline uh, stopped construction. It's been 12 days since Gina McCarthy and John Kerry were here, and it's been 19 days since that EO. So what are these people who need money now? When do they get
0: their green job? Well, uh,
1: the, the President and many Democrats and Republicans in Congress believe that investment in infrastructure, building infrastructure uh, that's in our national interests, uh, and that boosts the U.S. economy, creates good-paying union jobs here in America and advances our climate and clean energy goals are something that we can certainly work on doing together. And he has every plan to uh, share more about his uh, details of that plan in the, in
0: the weeks ahead. That she doesn't even at this point attempt to answer a question. She's buddy buddy with the media. They never really give her that much fire under her her bottom. Instead of even attempting to answer the question, she just explains the problem as a substitute for the answer. And once you start realizing that she's literally just restating the person's question back to them, and you realize how how arrogant she is when she says it. And I don't know if this is just me getting so angry that she's just she's getting away with this and the media, she she sings happy birthday to the media. Who's with me? Someone here has a good voice. Happy birthday to you. Whenever there's a birthday, I know you guys heard about that. And, you know, is this the kind of media that we want that is in collusion with the government who will cover for Jen Psaki, who will cover for Joe Biden when he's clearly falling asleep on the job, who will cover for the most uncharming person I, I think I've ever witnessed, Kamala Harris? And, you know, is this the type of media coverage that we want? Do we want... Media who's friends with the government I don't think so
1: no I mean the, the press is a unique tool Where we get to it's like being a private investigator That's, the, that's the, the duty Of the free press and of journalists Is to ask questions to find The dirt to find the dark and to Go into it and we've been Seeing Biden given a free pass across The entire board I think that have maybe seen We're going to just diving into the culture side I think I have maybe seen one late night Host do a joke or a bit about Biden In contrast what they did for uh, for Trump or for when Kaylee McNanny was press secretary and I think the lack of contention the lack of confrontation is sorely lacking and it scares me it does scare me when we have a press that's not wanting to hold them accountable it's not willing to point out the obvious flaws and how she answers questions. Saki always gives non-answers she never gives a straightforward answer and like you said she either repeats the question or she just says we'll tell you at a future date or we're still waiting on feedback that's not an answer that doesn't tell us when okay when are we going to wait for feedback what's a possibility give me some options when it comes to covid plans it comes to eviction notice standards or when it comes to any other policy that we're asking the white house to comment on
0: it's a disregard of her job and it's a disregard of the integrity that we should have as a nation but aside from jen saki who i don't I don't see as staying in the White House for very long. She's also said that she's probably going to retire and she's going to stop playing the identity politics, which is a great thing and we should all be celebrating for that. Who are some other women in politics? Because this is relatively, you know, (laughs) as in the last however many years the world has been around and however long governments have been instituted. We saw this in the book of Exodus in the Bible where God literally told Moses and Joshua, This is how you're going to organize your government, which was a republic, and this is how you're going to run it. For pretty much the last, I think biblically, we'd say about 6,000 years, 5,800 years, we have seen all of the elected people, the judges, the people who are running the governments be men. And a very new introduction, relatively new to the span of the world, has been women in politics, women in positions of leadership. And while I'm a woman and Emma's a woman and we love this idea and we think it's fantastic, there are some women that do a terrible job. And there are some women who should definitely step aside and let a man take care of the job when, you know, I hate to say it, but there's some women who do not deserve to be in politics. But... We all know who those women are, <clears throat> Hillary Clinton, <clears throat> Kamala Harris, women who like to sleep to the top. I want to talk about who are some notable women to follow who are in politics right now, who are doing it the right way, who are also doing it at the same time as being a mother, one of the most important things that a woman can ever do.
1: There's so many and so many that have been inspirations to me as I've tried to maintain my femininity and my womanhood in a realm that you need to be a powerful outspoken person. Um, The first one that comes to mind for me is Nikki Haley. Uh, She was governor, I believe, of South Carolina. Yeah, governor of South Carolina, and she's also an ambassador to the UN. And I think she represents what I hope to be, you know, 20, 40 years down the road, uh, someone who has has been matured and and has gained wisdom from being in politics, who commands presence and respect whenever she is speaking. And she also speaks such truth and such poignance. Um, I think the first time I had heard her speak in a while was when we had um trump one of his rallies and we had madison cawthorn speak and i remember listening to her speech and just being so inspired as to what i wanted to be someday a well-spoken well-educated and a person who just emanates authority and honorability um just in the way she presented herself
0: yeah she's amazing i totally agree actually when i was at ywls with turning point usa i listened to a speaker and i am not often left speechless and in awe of someone. And this woman, I never knew her before. Her name is Carrie Lake. She's a an American former television anchor for Fox News in Phoenix, Arizona. She stepped down from her anchor role in early 2020 when she realized she was even on Fox News beginning to peddle lies that she didn't agree with. And then at YWLS in Dallas, she actually declared her candidacy for the 2020 gubernatorial election as a Republican. She's a Christian, a mother, a boss lady, and such a peace and steady figure. She really is just incredible. And I really hope that everybody goes and looks up Carrie L-A-K-R-I, Lake, K A R I Lake, L A K E, because she truly is exactly the pinnacle of what it means to be a beautiful woman in a predominantly male run institution where you have to put aside your femininity to be powerful, to get things done. But you also do that with a level of elegance and class that is so untouched. She's unapologetically pro life, unapologetically conservative and she most of all is a mother and she loves her babies, she loves her children and you know she's just someone that I really look up to and I if I was in Arizona I'd vote for her so fast because I I love
1: being able to surround yourself with other strong women and other strong resources um from women because it's the way that we can learn and to grow because generations that have come before us have broken through their own glass ceilings, have broken through barriers and have garnered talents and skills that we need to glean as the next generation we need to listen to them and to see what they have to offer. We talk about being a mother and I think that's something that's so looked down upon and I am so proud of people like Candace Owens, a new mom, love her, she's amazing love her show, love her podcasts Mm. Um, and to see her step up to the plate to be a mother, to want to be a mother of a large family and still is such a capable leader of a conservative Mm. movement without having to ever sacrifice in any way that's um, damaging for her children and for her family's future Um, because it's a very hard balance it's a very hard balance and I think what's sad is that I think in the push for, for equal opportunity we have asked women to become more masculine in order to be equal with men and that that makes me so sad as because there is a power in femininity and the ability to be classic is a classy and elegant and smooth, and to do so without ever having to raise your voice or be able to break through a wall or be able to prove someone you can outdo push-ups with them. That's not part of what makes being a woman and a powerful woman a that person. And I think we are asking women to to sacrifice that. And I never want to see that happen. I want to see strong feminine women at the front lines, people like Nikki Hay, people like Candace Owens, people like Amy Comey Barrett, who are Fully woman, fully feminine
0: and fully fully bad. (laughs) Another one I love to talk about is, I mean, Abby Johnson. Come on. She's a mom of eight gorgeous little babies. Well, okay, the oldest is like 14 now, but they're still all babies. And she had a movie made about her. She spoke at the Republican National Convention when her youngest baby was like almost two years old. There was nothing that a woman can't do. But she also has actually, in my opinion, a harder job because she has to balance the most valuable thing that's been given to her and a powerful and amazing career and so with women who are advocating against having families advocating against women staying home I remember um A long time ago, I mean, I wasn't alive in like the 1920s when there was a debate about femininity and and eugenics and around the time of Margaret Sanger, someone said that we have to eradicate the choice to give a woman to stay home and have kids. We have to make it so impossible for her because why? Because she will choose to stay home and have children and love her kids every single time. And that's the attack that women are having upon themselves. And that's the attack that we're seeing because you can do both. You don't have to deny yourself your, your own ability to bring life into the world for your career. You can do both. It might be difficult and you shouldn't ever want to sacrifice your children's health or their their protection for that, but there is a way to do it. We've seen it done and those women typically are the ones who are making the most of the impact. You see Allie Beth Stuckey. She loves her babies. She loves her children and has like a weekly podcast show that she just hammers the left and she says no, I am proving y'all wrong. You can do both and you can be fulfilled in your career life and also in your family life. They're not mutually exclusive
1: absolutely and to push that further is to, to look at women who do make the choice to stay at home full time that is not just staying at home that is working from home we need to change that vocabulary yeah. because when you're a full-time mother just because you spend 24 7 with the people the children that you literally grew inside of you birthed like a boss woman and they're now raising and maturing and nurturing that is a full-time job if you're willing to commit to that <laughs> and so I think we need to change the mentality that it's a burden or it's an obstacle yeah. it's a gift and it's a blessing blessing to bring up new beautiful minds in a in a conservative way in a biblically grounded way, so they can go on and become movers and shapers and they can go on to bring up their children and uh, and their daughters and sons in this
0: right way. because that is a biblical command it's you know be fruitful and multiply and then later in the Bible he says do not decrease in Jeremiah he says do not decrease in number and that's the coolest superpower that women can have and it's 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 natural to us to want to have that have a family to have those children to take care of those children and you're right it's it's working from home I mean you are pruning the next generation and raising them And it it might not be glamorous work It might actually be harder than what your husband's doing And you probably won't be paid for it You most definitely will not be paid for it But it's something that we need to never neglect And underestimate the importance of it You see this really happening now I mean with China they had their pro-abortion policies And the, the limiting the number of children they're allowed to have And all of a sudden everybody's like "Oh, China's rising, China's becoming a superpower And I say no they aren't They're all going to die out. Now they have a severe underpopulation they have no little children and they're having to quickly reverse the policies but the damage has already been done there's about two generations of children who were completely and utterly slaughtered just because they, ha- the mom happened to get pregnant one more time and the abuses of the rights of women and children are happening all over and we need to understand that like the overpopulation thing totally a myth and why would you not want to have a whole tribe of children around you all that to say women in politics totally for it women in the home totally for it women doing both even more for it because it can be done and we're seeing it be done with grace with humility with an energy that is just so contagious and so attractive and we're seeing these women who are more beautiful than you can describe because of that inner beauty and i mean even at ywls you had moms who were speaking and giving rousing american speeches and they were holding a baby in their arms in front of a crowd of 900 to 3,000 girls. Amazing stuff. And that is what we need to be pushing for as conservative women. It's There's an attack on the family. There's an attack on motherhood. There's an attack on... America through the family and we need to be fighting back against that on every level that we can whether it be in legislation whether it be while you're running your business whether it be talking to people in your community whether it be organizing church and community and school events whether that means showing up for a school board meeting bringing your children and saying I'm not going to let you indoctrinate these wonderful little tribal little angels we need to make our voices heard that being a mother and being in politics can be done and it can be done well. Yes, a
1: thousand times, yes, Lily, completely agree.
0: Emma, I cannot wait till you and I can share stories about our little children and also walk yes. into a big room and give a speech together because we're standing behind some piece of really powerful legislation. I'm looking forward to that day. But until then, Emma, thank you so much for coming on this podcast episode of the Lily Kate Show. This was such a privilege to get to talk to you. It
1: was amazing, Lily. Thank you so much. You are a uh, you're an inspiration to all of us. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Keep fighting the culture wars. Keep being the person in the culture. I'll keep doing my best in the politics side and together we can go <laughs> to the next generation and can encourage this generation to keep up the good fight love
0: it thank you so much